Hello, this is Chris Ye, the co-author of Blitzscaling, and I am once again joined by my co-author, Reed Hoffman. And today we're going to be talking about a very special person, Jeff Weiner, who recently handed over the reins at LinkedIn, and whom, Reed, you've known for a very long time. I have indeed. It's the closing of an era. This is one of those deeply moving, at least personally moving kinds of times and podcasts because Jeff and I have worked together for 11 years. So that is quite a stretch and it was 11 incredibly successful years because during that time LinkedIn went from, well, it was a successful startup into a company that is one of the pillars of the internet. And during that time, I think Jeff played a major role. Jeff played an instrumental role. Matter of fact, one of the things that I've you know, published on LinkedIn is how Jeff essentially is that uh, the that part of hiring a CEO isn't just hiring someone who is amazing, who has the right skills, who brings the right network, who brings the right intelligence, product sensibilities, but also who has the character, the depth of commitment, the belief and the mission as kind of first and foremost to be essentially a later stage co-founder and that that's actually part of what you're looking for in uh, CEOs and uh, of organizations. And, and that was part of what made Jeff a very strong co-architect of LinkedIn's global impact. Well, let's turn back the clock to the start of your relationship, because I think it's very important for people to understand just where this relationship came from. So how did you first meet Jeff and what were your first impressions when you met him? So I met Jeff because one of my other partners at Greylock, James Slavitt, who I'd gotten to know through Greylock because he was a young VC then, and and David Z brought him to the LinkedIn boards, and he was so helpful and useful, and I was spending time talking to him. And he said, well, you know, you'd really love this guy, Jeff Wiener, at Yahoo. And I was like, yeah, I've kind of heard of him. He's like, no, 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 you've heard of him, but you should really meet him. And I was like, okay. And so then I noticed that Adam Lashinsky was pulling together this fortune dinner, and I noticed that Jeff was an attendee. And so in that dinner, Jeff said his usual, said some smart things about how to think about the tech industry and so forth. And I walked up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, um, uh, James Slavitt has told me I really should get to know you. Let's grab a coffee or something. And he's, oh, yeah, I've heard about you too. Yeah, that'd be great to do. And so we went and grabbed a, I think it was a lunch it was either a lunch or a, essentially a coffee. It was at a lunch place. And we talked for a couple hours. And then um, later, this was a few weeks later, and he said, hey, will you uh, come and um, talk to my team at Yahoo? He was one of the two executives who was working for Terry Semmel at Yahoo at the time. He was, you know, it's kind of the word, it was Terry. And then he and Toby Koppel were the two big zones of kind of macro things. And not surprising given where, you know, Jeff and I ended up. Uh, Jeff was responsible for the Yahoo network and network properties and so forth and a lot of the consumer-facing things. And so he said, come by and talk to my exec staff. And so I said, all right, well, I'll get to know Jeff a little bit this way. And I came by and I gave a critique of all the things that I thought that Yahoo should do differently or better and whatnot. And Jeff's interactions were just, you know, picture perfect, which is I'm intellectually curious. I'm not defensive. I'm saying the things that we did well. I'm listening to things you're saying. I'm integrating. We're bringing it into a group conversation. I actually wanted his people to talk and interact more than he did because one of Jeff's many superpowers is he is a leader of a team. He is he thinks about business in, with analogies to kind of team sports and how do you bring teams together and how do you lead the teams and how do you have the team act really well and that, that his function is being a team leader, not, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm the hero and everyone follows me. It's like, no, no, I'm a team lead, but I'm in the team. I'm of the team. And uh, you saw that. And then after that, we, we, you know, started regularly grabbing dinners, usually dinners because we had enough time. And then uh, when he left Yahoo, it was part of the reason uh, he also, he, he went to both Excel and Greylock as an EIR. And so he joined Greylock as an EIR. And then, of course, I started to talk to him since then as well. So a couple of interesting things that came out of that origin story, which was not actually one that we've discussed before. The first is, in classic Reed fashion, this relationship came about because of the network. 
because you and Jeff had James in common, there was somebody to really be the transitive property of trust there. And so you're already predisposed to liking and engaging with each other. The second is the characteristic of Jeff that really drew you in, which is that he was what we've called an infinite learner, somebody who is not defensive, somebody who is open to criticism. The fact is in that very first interaction where you laid out what you thought they'd done wrong and what they could do better, his response wasn't, well, that's a bunch of hoo-ha. His response was, wow, let me think about how I can use this to get better. And then, of course, the final thing is just the nature of the reference checking. I think we've said before many times, the references are the most important. And so getting to know Jeff and his team and seeing how he interacted with people was probably a crucial way in which you divine Jeff's character and what kind of leader he was. And just the last point, knowing that James had worked for him at Yahoo and said that Jeff was one of the best executives he'd ever seen, was like super impressed working for him, would work for him again. That's the kind of reference that when you get that kind of reference from someone that you rate, someone you think is super amazing themselves, that you then, you know, track carefully. So as you referenced, you soon developed a very different relationship with Jeff as you brought him on board as LinkedIn CEO. But I've heard from you before that that was a relatively long courtship. What was that process like? It wasn't like you just said one day, hey, Jeff, can you be CEO? Well, there's probably three parts of the question to answer. The first is, there was a courtship of persuading Jeff that, you know, who had who had, had a plan when he, had, you know, after he had taken his time off from, left Yahoo, taken a little bit of a sabbatical, was starting to gear up. He had a plan that he was working on that it was like, no, no, LinkedIn is a better part of your plan than your plan. And because, you know, part of it is it's like, oh, I'll give you advice and, you know, maybe I'll be a board member or something. It's like, no, no, I think actually, in fact, I think you want to work full time at LinkedIn. And it didn't take long after he started engaging, but it was the stop paying attention to this other thing that you're working on and pay a lot of attention to this and evaluate it carefully. The second part of it, and these are things that I give advice to all entrepreneurs on, is that part of hiring key roles, and it could be like a key engineer, a key product person, an executive, and then of course, most of all, a CEO, is to really invest the time. And part of investing the time is that even though Jeff and I had already known each other, had already been doing some work together and so forth, to establish whether or not we would be a good partnership, a good way of kind of taking LinkedIn to the next level where he would be the CEO, uh, and the CEO is in charge, right, for this, is to spend a bunch of time talking through how you work together, your, you know, what you rate your strengths and weaknesses are, things that you wish that you had learned, that you wish you had done better when you were younger, which mistakes had you made. So we had a wide-ranging set of conversations. So when I later went back and added up, I think it was about 30 hours of conversations where some of them were walks and all the rest. And some of them were like deliberately difficult conversations, which is like, well, let's, let's say what were some of the things that you really screwed up at gig X and gig Y? And we did it both directions because it was a partnership. And so that was really key. And then, of course, even though I'd had some good experience with Jeff, you went and you went around and you dug in to a set of other references as well. And I called other folks just to make sure, because you, you could be blind to your own perspective. You could not realize how someone affects other people. The way they interact with you could be different than the way they interact with other people. Could be you haven't seen them in the right stress circumstances or other kinds of things yet. So there's a variety of questions you get to in references. Even when you go, oh my God, I just spent a great 30 hours with this person. And it was, it's, you know, it's, it's given me a lot of confidence. I think we could be great partners. I think we could really work on this. I think he'd be the right king of this project to be the person leading it into future and into massive scale. But even with all that, you still want to do that. And so all of that was part of it. And sometimes you don't have the luxury of everything. Uh, you know, the benefit of Jeff being an EIR and being also could spend the time and do that. Sometimes when you're recruiting someone from a different job or something else, you know, you have to you have to be more selective and it can't quite work at that. But that that is the aspirational goal. And so that's that's what we did. And even then, when we brought Jeff on, Jeff was still a little uncertain. And so we started with a, look, why don't you just come on as an interim president helping me as CEO, but we'll run it like you're the CEO 
so that we can both see, you can see, that was the top thing, and I could see that this is a good thing. And I, of course, had to work it through the exec staff because normally when you bring that kind of folks in, everyone says, well, that's fine, but why don't I keep reporting to you? <laughs> right? And you're like, no, no, no. This is actually, in fact, we think that like Jeff should be the CEO. And this gives us a way to, because Jeff's comfortable with this, this gives us a way to see if it would work. And within a month, it was like, yep, this is clear. <laughs> right? Let's build this out. And um, and obviously, you know, the history has, has already shown, but Jeff is literally, you know, one of the spectacular tech CEOs. And we'll obviously, we'll probably go more into that throughout the rest of it. But it was like the, the era of taking LinkedIn from 400 employees and, you know, kind of a, hey, you know, the business is working and we're kind of profitable and we got a bunch of good ideas to we are a, a global, like offices in many cities, whatever the number of thousand, 12,000 was the last time I, I paid attention to the number of employees, this huge organization that was completely rebuilt and retooled for the way that it operated. And Jeff was the architect and the, the grower of all of that. And his CEO tenure was one of those, you know, fairy tale, you know, entrepreneurship, scaling business success stories. And a huge benefit to you personally as well, because I know one of the reasons you brought Jeff in is you've described before how Jeff is brilliant at things like running staff meetings and doing these things that a CEO does that while you could do, wasn't necessarily the thing you were ideally suited for. Yeah. And like, for example, how do you put together an executive team? What's the way that that executive team functions at a very, you know, at a 10 out of 10 level and so forth. And I learned a lot from these things, working with Jeff, observing what he did. Like if I were to go do that again, I now know how to do that much better <laughs> from the learnings and the tutelage from working with Jeff and observing him. And then actually one of the things I love about Jeff, it's part of the thing that made me really realize, as you know, I look for explicit learners, not just learners, you know, infinite learners we were talking about, but explicit learners, because explicit learners share their learnings and they teach. And Jeff is one of those teachers. And so Part of the joy of working with Jeff is not just the watching a 10 out of 10 executive do their thing, but also that as you're working with him, he's saying, well, here's why I'm doing it this way. Here's how I think about it this way. This is why I think about it this way. <laughs> right. And that then obviously not just improves your game, but also helps you and pass along those learnings, be part of a team that's improving their performance. And so those are all the many things amongst Jeff's superpowers. Now, part of what is also great about the example that you gave and sort of the outline of how Jeff came on board is it illustrates two other important things. The first is it wasn't just that you spent a lot of time with Jeff, although you did, is that you also had those difficult conversations. You were deeply honest. You were deeply open. It requires being vulnerable and it requires trust. And if you couldn't do that, how could you possibly trust the other person? And how could you be good partners? You know, Jeff has a very good phrase, you build trust through consistency over time. And I completely agree with this. You know, other elements, obviously, to build, building trust are you can navigate conflict. So you get into conflict with someone, you get into kind of tough, difficult area, you're vulnerable, as you're saying. And then you say, oh, we can handle this well together. Okay, great. Now I know that if we run into it, we can raise it easily, we can navigate it, I have confidence that... You know, we can use any crises we run into to become better partners, to become better learners, to become more trusting of each other. And that was all part of the the initial set in terms of going into it. The other thing that comes through is the fact that you brought Jeff in as the interim president. And this echoes something that we wrote about in Blitzscaling that we actually took from our other friend, John Lilly, over at Mozilla, which is that when you're bringing in an executive from the outside to a tight-knit team at a startup, oftentimes it's better, not just for them, but for the organization as well, to bring them in at a certain level and allow everyone to say, oh, of course Jeff should be CEO instead of ramming it down people's throats. By the way, broadly, that's the right thing to do, as per John Lilly and other things. In this one, actually, in fact, the organization was roughly, he's the CEO. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so um, the interim part was a combination of Jeff's desire to have flexibility, because part of it was a unique thing of persuading 
Jeff that, you know, because he, you know, super smart, had some interesting plans, that he should give up those other plans for this, right? And then the second part is, you know, whenever you do these things, you should do them partnership and mutual. So it was like, well, look, if you if you want to do the kind of try before you buy, why don't we make it mutual? Uh, why don't we see if it, if it kind of works on both sides? And so it was more of a way that if it wasn't working, it was a graceful way for either party to say, hey, you know, this isn't the right thing. Of course, both Jeff and I thought that the likelihood of that was, you know, like very small. But, you know, that allows it easier kind of doing it. And then I think Jeff, by February, was like, oh, yeah, I could see how this mission, the company's mission, LinkedIn mission, is my mission, right? The kind of thing that I want my impact on the world to be about how I've, you know, ranging from how I've enabled uh, talent to have the best possible opportunities it can to participation in, in education in ways that improve everyone, but especially, of course, you know, meritocratic, you know, disadvantaged people who are bright and young and driven and don't have the economic opportunities, all the way to the fact that business can actually be run with compassionate management, that actually, in fact, you can have as your virtue compassion as your top operating characteristic, and that actually can be associated with performance, which the vast majority of people don't understand. And I can do, like, all of that can be a part of the impact and part of what I'm doing at LinkedIn, both as building LinkedIn as the company, but the impact that LinkedIn has in the world. And, you know, as we were talking about that, because we still have, well, not during COVID, but until COVID, we had monthly dinners, <laughs> right? And we'll have again. But like those are the kind of things we would be talking about at the monthly dinners because we use those as a kind of alignment of mission, macro strategy, environment we're in, whereas we used one-on-ones and meetings during the week as tactics and, you know, how do we solve this problem? What do we do here? And how do the pieces need to come together? And so um, all the mission stuff was broadly within that context. And by February, Jeff was like, yep, I see it. And because that's essentially when you say, well, I'm a co-founder is not only do you have the gravitas to be driving within the company, but you have the, this mission is my mission. Like a part of what my life is about is this. And the meaning of it, the impact of it, this, the direction of it, the thing that where I go, you know, this is the good in the world that comes from my having worked intensely to try to make the world a better place. 110% committed, in other words. Yep. Or 200% or, yes, but yes. Not quite the it goes to 11. <laughs> now, you've had a long career as an entrepreneur investor in which you've worked with many well-known CEOs. We won't name them all here, but suffice to say, a number of them are known by just a single name. That's how famous they are. So what about Jeff's particular skills and approach to leadership makes him so effective? What causes him to stand out in your mind as, as such an effective executive? There are a number of world-class CEOs and a number of world-class tech CEOs. Satya Nadella is an obviously amazing CEO. Uh, Reed Hastings, you know, there's a stack of these folks who are who are well known as just amazing CEOs. And you know, I I don't mean to cut short the list, but I could take the whole podcast just saying these these these. And the thing that's interesting is that just like a players, so-called or anything else, like. How people are superstars are not all the same. Everyone has actually, in fact, a different set of strengths and weaknesses. Everyone has different superpowers, which is one of the analogies that I like. And Jeff's, I think, come a lot from creating a intensely driven culture. Um, obviously, there's different cultures, so it's kind of, I'm going to go into Jeff's culture because obviously Reed Hastings is also a intense culture first person, as is uh, Satya. But Jeff kind of says, okay, here is a culture of compassionate management and performance. Here's the way that we take how we learn from each other as kind of fundamental. Here's the way that we make our performance metrics for individuals embedded in team performance metrics. So it's, yes, you do have individual metrics, but but they're embedded within, you know, how do I think of myself as part of the team? And so those kinds of 
Like we are, we are team is a very central part of how Jeff operates. The knowledge that the primary thing he's doing is getting, it's kind of like the CEO can kind of say, look, I will help set direction and resolve, but then I am trying to get everyone to row their best and to coordinate the right way. And then my job is to help, you know, kind of facilitate, nudge, enable, command on occasion, you know, that performance and that direction. And so like, how do you do onboarding and how do you do professional development within it? And how do you do performance reviews collectively? And how do you have everyone feel like we are part of that team? And how do you set a cultural drumbeat? And how do you use communications for that? Which includes, you know, like one of the things that Jeff said that stuck in my mind is by the time that you're getting bored of yourself saying a message is just the beginnings of when the organization's hearing it, right? So it's, it's, it's like a version of my, if you're not embarrassed by your first product release, you've released too late. The whole idea was having a kind of emotional tell for where you are, because you generally speaking will resist releasing your product because you want it to be the perfect thing you want to show everyone. And this is for consumer internet software primarily. Well, Jeff's is, until you've actually getting dreadfully bored, and you shouldn't project your boredom, dreadfully bored by the thing you're saying, you haven't said it enough to really stick in the organization. So comms is another part of that. And then the other thing that Jeff's a master at, and I've never seen anyone better than him at this, is he constructs a set of, of dashboards which kind of bubble the whole organization through where he himself is such a student of those dashboards. Like one of the things we saw about six months in was that he called a product lead on a morning and said, there's something wrong with your product. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, there's something wrong. The number doesn't ring right. It doesn't cohere with the other numbers. And there's something in this number. And the only reason this number would be different would be not right and not cohesive with these other numbers is because there's something wrong with your product. And they went and found that the email notification thing had quit and wasn't sending out email notifications, <laughs> right? And that that had gotten reflected in that specific number. But the point of the dashboard is not micromanagement. The point of the dashboards is he's got a, a view of the entire scope of the play that's done in a common ground that everyone can see, that he becomes a deep student of and awareness of, such that when he looked at it and said, well, that number looks wrong to me. Why does that number look wrong? And you know, he had gotten up at like five in the morning in order to you know, start looking at the numbers. That number looked wrong to me, but then these other numbers don't look wrong. So why would that number be wrong and not these ones? Oh, it's probably here, <laughs> right? So then he would just call that product lead. And it wasn't, you have a problem, or I want to sit in, sit in your staff meeting, or you need to do this specific thing. It's, you need to look into this because clearly there's something that's that's a little off. And then the broccoli called back and said, yep, we got the re-email notification process restarted. The old notifications uh, will go out in the right way, and da-da-da-da. And so that dashboard focus is another of Jeff's superpowers, but he blends it in to the team management, the team performance, and the team learning that is so much part of how Jeff leads. And if I hear what you're saying, it sounds like, you know, as opposed to heat vision or x-ray vision or super strength, it sounds like most of Jeff's superpowers are in the area of the team, are in the area of getting more out of other people, which is really what being a CEO is about. Yep, exactly. Now, one of the things you said earlier caught my attention, which is you referred to Jeff as a co-founder of LinkedIn. Now, he joined the company in 2008. Company was over five years old at that point. Can you talk about the idea of companies having multiple founding moments and why you think Jeff is a co-founder at LinkedIn? So I think it's one of the things that I, um, Jack Dorsey, I think, was the first one who came up with the multiple co-founding moments that I, that I had heard. Maybe there's others. Um, and I thought that was a very smart thing for Jack to say, So sort of you know, thought about it and developed it uh, since then. The reason you really want to look at this is because ultimately companies succeed and thrive when they are being driven by someone who has the missionary passion for what this company should grow into, what impact it should have, and has that kind of a mission in the world. Because ultimately, if you're just managing it for the kind of business metrics, you know, it's like, well, what is our growth number? What is our EBITDA number? 
you know, what is our revenue number, you know, blah, 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 you know, kind of, you know, CAGs, you know, whatever, the LTD, you know, blah, blah, blah. You do all the classic business-oriented MBA stuff. The problem is, is that ultimately, it doesn't necessarily lead to short-term, but it kind of tends to over time. There are exceptional leaders who do all that stuff, who stay very long-term focused, but ultimately that kind of long-term of, look, I'm investing in things where I don't know what the exact return on capital investment will be. I don't know if it'll actually, in fact, really ultimately really add to our profitability line, but I know it's the right thing for a vibrant, healthy company that has the right product or service for its market, for its, its customers, for its employees, and that's part of the reason why I'm investing in this. It's of service to the mission. And oh, by the way, that's another thing that actually Jeff recruiting, again, focus on team, you know, part of the way that I learned from Jeff about how to recruit is not come work for me. Of course, you're working for the CEO, but it's come work for the mission. And both you and I are working for the mission. And that may be a particularly good lens for thinking about how this kind of co-founder status come up. Because what you need is you need to say, okay, so someone has to be able to contribute the way a co-founder does. Now, in a sense, the early co-founders is easiest because you've got, you're by default dead, you've jumped off a cliff, it's not gonna work. And if you can actually make the company into something, you've really contributed. And there's usually, you know, usually the company starts only with the founder and the co-founder. So it's like pretty significant contribution, especially if you manage to get anywhere. Then of course, as the company begins to, to grow, it's harder to come in and say, hey, look, I'm a co-founder. It's like, well, you have to have that in position. And the CEO, and some other positions, but the CEO is the primary position where that becomes possible. And part of the lens that, that Jack uh, had me kind of realize was to say that the mistake that people had been making in recruiting CEOs is they were just looking for only the purest athlete, only the best CEO, only the world-class you know, recruiting, managing, culture, et cetera, et cetera, and not also co-founder where the co-founder goes, this mission is part of my life story. Like I would be contributing to this mission even if I wasn't CEO, even if I wasn't paid, because you know I might be contributing a lot less because I didn't have another job or something else, but this would be the kind of thing I would be contributing to because that's the thing that I really want to see happen. And that's what I want. I want the longevity, the long-term impact, the, the creation of this company as an institution that will last for decades, maybe centuries, to be part of my story, the part of the story that I, of the impact I had on the world. And so that was part of the reason why it was very early. A matter of fact, I kind of surprised Jeff with it. I think we were on some press call or something. I described this and Jeff was like, oh. And it was like he hadn't heard it. And it was because I just kind of internalized it and I thought of it that way. It wasn't, it wasn't a, oh, look, let me now anoint you, you know, Sir Jeff, <laughs> you know, co-founder of LinkedIn. It was this is what you're doing. This is how you're operating. You're having a co-founder level impact. You're bringing this enormous set of things that make this company do magical things in the world, create a company with a amazing internal functioning and culture and performance. You're a co-founder. It isn't Reed says it, it's just you are, <laughs> right, uh, as part of it. And then I also then later did a post on this because I thought it was important to get everyone to really focus on, look, you're trying to make these companies do these amazing things, that when you hire a CEO, it isn't just the athlete, it's an athlete plus co-founder. And I think it's so important because when you think about the great companies, they have to reinvent themselves. They don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. They need that multiple co-founding moment. They need somebody who really believes in that mission is going to carry it forward. One of the great examples of this, although it does involve somebody who was a founder more than once, is Apple, where immediately before Steve Jobs returned to Apple, Apple was run by Gil Emilio, formerly of National Semiconductor. And Gil had come up with as an internal watchword for his management team, the acronym DSUV. And he pushed everyone to maximize DSUV, which was distinctly superior user value. So everywhere there were signs about DSUV. And of course, Steve Jobs came back to refound Apple. He threw all that out and he said, we're going to make things that are insanely great. And that's one of those great examples of somebody who is a corporate athlete versus somebody who is truly a visionary and missionary. Yes, exactly. Now, one of the key contributions that Jeff 
made in addition to LinkedIn was to our book, The Alliance. That's the management and leadership book that we wrote with our friend Ben Kaznoka. And what Jeff did is he really helped us come up with the idea of a foundational tour of duty. And can you talk a little bit about how Jeff helped us come up with the idea and also how he served as a great example of it then and also today? The Alliance started as a combination of two insights that we felt needed to be shared with the world. So one was when we wrote the startup view and said, look, here is uh, what every Ben Kasnoka and I and Chris, you know, as, a, as always as an advisor, you know, said, you know, here is the fact that every individual needs to now think of themselves as the entrepreneur of their own career. Relatively few people will start companies. Uh, some of the companies will be individual consultancies, some will small businesses, some of them will be global businesses. But nevertheless, the attributes of being an entrepreneur are now what you need to have as a career because the so-called career ladder, career escalator is now being transformed into a jungle gym. And that's the only way that modern careers will happen. And you not only see that in the U.S., which is a more entrepreneurial country, but also even places like Japan are heading in that direction. So that was one about like people's individuals. And the second was... We'd been seeing that pattern within Silicon Valley because it's extremely common for a person to work at multiple companies here, even multiple of the great transformative companies. And actually, in fact, it's part of what makes Silicon Valley really work because as these people go from, hey, I was working at Google and now I'm working at Facebook or, hey, I was working at LinkedIn and now I'm working at Airbnb, as these company transitions happen, People bring with them like, oh, well, here is how we did culture, and here is how we did performance management, and here are the metrics that we looked at, and here's how we thought about testing web pages, and here's how we thought about product design, and so forth. And that combination and recombination makes the entire, all of Silicon Valley an, an intense learning network, which is part of what makes all the companies very strong. And that kind of goes against the common wisdom of you know, kind of like, well, actually, in fact, you just want to recruit the, you know, star A players as early as you can. You want to keep everyone in and everyone stays in the company. And that's how you work because, you know, it goes back to how Procter & Gamble and, you know, way back when to IBM and, and these kinds of things as, as an instance. Say, no, no, this other pattern is extremely important for fast learning, especially in technology, but anything else, for market adaptation, for company adaptation, because, these companies don't stay solid. They actually they grow, they evolve. Like culture evolves. You know, the people one set culture. It's like, no, no, no. If it's if it's just on a rock, that's a problem. You actually want to be evolving in a pattern that's cohesive to you are your identity, you are who you are, but you're learning and being better and, and improving. And so that's what we uh, decided to do. We originally kind of wrote, as you know, Chris, we wrote a an article for HBR, we sent it over to HBR. And HBR said, well, we really like the book. And we went, oh, okay, well, I think we could write a book because we can just look around to how we operate. And so we sketched some stuff. And as always, of course, since Jeff is a superstar here, shared it with Jeff. And Jeff looked at it and said, look, I, I get all your arguments. I think all your arguments are right. I think those are good, foundational, important things to have as everyone's skill set. But you're really neglecting the actual importance that there's still, like even though it used to be the whole company, it's still actually really important that there's a core, it, it can be, not always 100%, like, well, it's always important you have a core. The core can be very small, the core can be larger, like different companies, different cultures, et cetera, could shift that. But you need to have people who are like, no, no, actually, in fact, I'm working here for decades, that this company is my life's work and is what I'm doing, because there's a bunch of good attributes that come out of it, not just kind of the culture caring, but also, as teams play together, they make decisions around speed of making decisions, shorthand in communication, ways to kind of make a, a strategic call and then make a play happen and do so by the fact that they are well-polished in working together. And that because they've been there and they've been referring that team play and they've been team playing together for a long time. And in particular, that's, that's also very important when you look at like the exec staff and so forth. And so we talked about it a lot, and I said, you know, actually, you're right. It's important. Like, we were pointing out, like, there's this new transformational tour of duty that no one's talking about, that no one's really managing to, that no one's really acknowledging, that if you 
don't do that, you're actually creating a culture of distrust in your company because you're essentially creating a two-directional lie between the employee and the manager, and you must be doing this, otherwise you have this problem. But you're also right that there's also a place for this kind of foundational core and that you need to have both. And so we talked about it with Jeff. We added in the foundational tour. You know, the irony, you know, is not lost on me. It was like, well, here's a founder <laughs> kind of adding in from, you know, a co-founder, adding in from a later co-founder, like, oh, no, you need to have a foundational tour. But it was like extremely good input. And then I also got to the, look, here is the way that these kinds of tours of duty come together, and here's the way you can look at it. And then the specific, in your specific company, you might be a tiny amount on foundational tours, a huge amount on transformational tours, or you might have a lot on foundational tours and some transformational tours. It could be, depends on the company, depends on whether or not you're blitzscaling, depends on a whole set of different things. But Jeff was, as usual, on things that involve scale management, critical in advice and construction of the theory and the application. And that is absolutely one of the ways we try to improve our books. We try to make sure that not only are we drawing on real-life examples, but we're actually talking with the practitioners, the people with the superpowers like Jeff, who can read and say, yeah, well, maybe it should be this way, or I think you're overlooking that. And that ability to learn, the willingness to seek out that kind of feedback has always been, I think, one of your hallmarks as well. But speaking of books, our other book, Blitzscaling, talks about how the transformative, iconic technology companies of today and tomorrow are being built. And it's all about prioritizing speed so that you can achieve enduring leadership in a winner-take-most market. And if I look at the history of LinkedIn, that is clearly a company that dominates its professional social networking market. So what kinds of scaling techniques did Jeff employ at LinkedIn to help achieve that market leadership and maintain that market leadership? And what are some of the lessons that you learned from Jeff that we then incorporated into blitzscaling? So blitzscaling, you know, as you know, Chris, is prioritizing speed over efficiency in an environment of uncertainty. And Jeff was mostly doing what we call fast scaling, which is actually, in fact, because Jeff is so focused on dashboards and efficiency and processes for allocation of resources and the notion of like, you know, 70% of your energy goes to your core business, 20% goes into adjacent, 10% into venture bets, make sure you're at least 10% so that you're actually, in fact, experimenting with some bold things that could later lead to new cores or new, you know, adjacencies that help development, you know, this whole stack of things. Jeff is very systematic as a leader, as a thinker, uh, and is doing these systems. And so what he, essentially a lot of the stuff that got added into blitzscaling out of the stuff that I learned from Jeff was which of the places, when do you start building these systems? And when do you put the systems to really accelerate where the system helps you accelerate speed? Jeff hasn't, in LinkedIn, tend to do as much blitzscaling because LinkedIn was in a space where you actually, in fact, could be assessing you know, the ROI and tuning it and tuning efficiency in order to play it out. And so he was doing a variety of the fast scaling techniques, which, of course, are in the same tool chest, right? It's actually, in fact, not like, oh, well, let me go to tool chest number two. The differences in fast scaling and blitzscaling have a lot to do with, well, how well can you measure it? Are you actually in an environment of uncertainty or not? Do you do things in a way that you go, look, we'll sort out the, the efficiency later because just the raw speed is what matters. And Jeff was like, well, no, no, we want to scale as fast as possible. But like, you know, here's the way we figure out and open up offices. Here's the way that we make the offices sync with the current offices and so forth. And he was focused on the efficiency of a platform across the entire company. And so those, those kinds of things were tools that were put into blitzscaling, but were learned and done from what Jeff was doing at LinkedIn, which is fast scaling. And there's an incredibly important insight in that, which is when we talk about blitzscaling and we talk about growth in an environment of uncertainty, that environment of uncertainty doesn't have to be the same for every company. And if you are like Jeff, really gifted 
at building dashboards, instrumenting, monitoring, really assessing what's going on out there, you may have less uncertainty than your competitors. You may be able to move faster than your competitors without even necessarily having to accept that much uncertainty. To the outside world, you're blitzscaling because they can't see why you're doing what you're doing, but internally you're able to fast scale. Exactly right. The other thing that I think is very interesting about Jeff and blitzscaling is that he created new bets, as you put it, the venture bets. As I think about LinkedIn's product, I think about something that actually occurred during the time we were writing these books, which is LinkedIn's launch as a content platform. That's not something that was built into LinkedIn from the start. It's something that came out during the same time frame as these books. And I can tell you, as a business writer, LinkedIn has become probably the most important platform for sharing business ideas, which is not something that you set out with when you created LinkedIn. No. And we did have a thought of the network as a platform by which, from a combination of network, from engagement, and from other professionals like you, that we might be able to create a lens onto the content that you would need today, this week, this month, this year, and facilitating that. That's still, you know, those ideas are still kicking around. But we hadn't really gotten to, because this is, again, Jeff Thickey's leader, this is, could be a platform for leadership. This could be a platform by which people express thought leadership, express leadership within a company, express leadership as a manager or an executive. And Jeff went, hey, actually, in fact, this is actually a super important part of the business world. We should have it. Let's start it as a venture bet, and then let's build it out of a venture bet into something. And that was indeed one of Jeff's many product insights and contributions. And, you know, and Jeff, if obviously we're here, he'd say, wow, but actually, and, you know, we'll get to Ryan Ruslansky, but it was actually it was Ryan's, and it was these other people. And I was like, yes, yes. You know, the, the right and the great CEO goes, look, I hired people. They may have come up with the idea. They may have pitched Jeff on it. They certainly ran with it. They certainly owned it. But one of the things about being a CEO is you co-own the glory and you co-own the failures. Again, one of Jeff's many great characteristics as a CEO is, well, he's more focused on co-owning the failures to be a good leader, but, but he, he, should, he co-owns both. And in, I'm reminded of another Jeff that we wrote about in the Alliance, Jeff Bezos, who, while Amazon Web Services was not his idea to start with, it was something that he adopted, that he stood up for for in front of the board, and which he was instrumental in making into such a hugely important business today. Exactly. Now, Now, you mentioned it. Jeff is now handing off the torch to Ryan Roslansky. And Ryan is an executive who has worked at LinkedIn for 11 years, but he also worked for Jeff at Yahoo for another five years. So that's another great example of one of these long-running relationships. Can you talk about what makes Ryan such a good choice to succeed, Jeff, and where you hope he's going to take LinkedIn in the future? Well, um, I have perfect confidence in Ryan. One of the things that Jeff you know, has kind of taught me about these kinds of uh, leadership is that Jeff has been working on succession for years, and he works on that with all of his executives. Um, it's not just you know, going, okay, I anoint one. It's the, how do I improve everybody? How do you have everyone, essentially, even if they're not necessarily, their, their mission isn't to become CEO of LinkedIn or CEO of this company, in this case, LinkedIn, uh, how do I still work with them in order to make this uh, happen? And, but I tend to think one of the things you think is, like, what function drives a company? And so you said there's product, there's engineering, there's marketing, there's sales, there's finance, you know, there's operations, et cetera. And to some degree, it's like, well, which thing is the most important strategic driver? Which thing is the most important thing to get right? Which thing is, like, all of these, all of the matter, but, like, if you said you put them together and you're saying, okay, which of these things is the one that should set a little bit of the harmony for all of them as the most important in most consumer software businesses, and LinkedIn included, it's product. And so, you know, Ryan was for, you know, years a, an amazing product leader under Jeff. Influencer is just one of the many things he was doing before, you know, as kind of the, as the invention and innovation side. And, you know, part of when I was talking to Ryan about his succeeding Jeff, one of the things that, that just came up in the first minute that was like, yep, Uh, Jeff's right, you know, my agreeing with Jeff is right, Ryan is the right uh, CEO, was that he said, look, there's no way that I'm going to be, Ryan basically said, there's no way I'm going to be a better Jeff. You know, Jeff's the best Jeff, 
right? So if I just try to do everything only that Jeff is doing and no differences, <laughs> right, I will by definition do it worse than Jeff. What I need to do is be a great CEO on Ryan where I've learned everything, I've continued you know, the great things that Jeff has done here, and then I'm adding in my new things and the things where I'm different in order to make this happen. And that's one of the things that I want to talk to you about because, again, I want to learn, like you didn't say this language, we're translating it in this podcast, but I want to learn and, and make sure that I'm adapting and I'm incorporating the best possible ideas into the plan that I'm going to set. And, you know, what are the things that, you know, I should think about when, you know, and so he threw out some ideas which are part of future strategies, so we're not going to cover them here, asked some various different kinds of questions on things that I had thought, challenged me on some stuff, you know, asked me some things about, you know, uh, some other kind of macro strategic stuff. And then I was like, yep, <laughs> this is the right thing. And so that's part of, you know, that kind of product orientation, you know, the infant learning. And also, and this is one of the things key, because obviously in this podcast, this is in part, in addition to hopefully having specific pieces of information that are useful to the entrepreneurial community, it is also a tribute to the amazing job that Jeff has done at LinkedIn for 11 years and also with his career and as a leader and as a thinker and as a theorist and as a practitioner of being an executive and a CEO. Now, let's return to Jeff for a second because, again, I hear the echoes as you describe your interaction with Ryan. It really sounds like those original interactions you had with Jeff so long ago as you were bringing him on board. So it really feels that close alignment. But with Jeff, you know, Jeff is really renowned for leadership, for charisma. In 2014, he was Glassdoor's number one tech CEO. And then in 2011, you and he actually won EY's Entrepreneur of the Year as a team. So most people really know this public side of Jeff, this award-winning CEO. What are some of the behind-the-scenes memories you can share that show off more of the private side of Jeff the person? Well, this isn't quite the private side, but I'd say that one of the things that, to give you, since we just uh, recently had the, the last town hall, the last LinkedIn corporate meeting with Jeff as CEO, and Ryan and others kind of said, hey, we're going to run this one. Jeff said, okay, and didn't really realize. I mean, I think he knew that there was going to be a tribute coming, but it wasn't like, he didn't, I don't think, realize. I thought he thought it was going to be, hey, oh, here's birthday cake kind of equivalent. Versus the entire meeting was orchestrated as a tribute, which I thought was deeply deserved and fitting. And it started with kind of like 10 transformational moments, things that I and Ryan and Steve Sardello and, and, and kind of other Zaki's executive had learned from Jeff, each of us taking a few minutes to say, what is the thing that we learned? And you know, I went through the co-founder part, which is part of the thing and said, oh, I should do this as part of you know, our podcast with, with Gray Matter. And I should, I should you know, the, the, this is valuable content for the world, not just as a tribute to Jeff. And part of like, the culture that Jeff had set up is that you know, business is, like we have this unfortunate thing in American business. Oh, it's just business, it's not personal. Actually, in fact, business is personal, involves people, right? Involves hearts, commitments, desires, uh, sometimes fears. And uh, Jeff is that kind of a leader and trying to be open. And one of the things that they did was that Jeff's favorite karaoke thing is Sweet Caroline. And so they orchestrated across the stay-at-home distributed thing, LinkedIn employees playing music, singing, the whole thing. And... Jeff's just started crying, right? Because it was the, oh my God, this is, this is real. Um, and actually, uh, in kind of uh, being there with him, I started tearing up too because it was like, yes, this is part of the culture that you built. That the company went and said, what's a personal tribute that we could do that shares with you not just the, oh, here's a rendition of employee count X to Y, revenue growth, you know, A to B, you know, da-da-da-da-da, all of which is true and known, but something that's more personal and emotional that means something to you, that we know you well enough that we can do this and that we are telling you how much we've appreciated you. And the fact they knew him, that was the style of leadership and connection that Jeff drew, and the fact that he was, you know, willing to 
tear up and and to uh, actually, in fact, share with the company because you could certainly imagine CEOs go, "Oh, I'm having a problem with that video connection." Click, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but instead, no, no, I'm here with you, and I'm. This is how much what you have done is moving me, and I'm here as a person and present too. So those, it isn't really a behind the scenes, maybe behind the scenes from the world, but was a most recent and and a fitting part of showing the kind of person that Jeff is and the kind of culture that he built, that he, he created the foundation for and grew at LinkedIn. Well, that is an incredible behind the scenes look. And I can only quote Neil Diamond and say, so good, so good, so good. Exactly. So now that Jeff has handed over the reins, he's still staying on at LinkedIn. He's taking over your role as executive chairman. And he's explicitly said he's going to be focusing on increasing diversity and inclusion, which is a subject near and dear to our hearts. How important is it to have a co-founder, and better yet, a leader like Jeff, focus on such an important issue? Critical. These kinds of things only really happen from the top. The fact is, with diversity and inclusion, if it's very obvious that there's serious problems, and if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So whether it's glass ceilings, comp differences uh, for women, for uh, ethnic minorities, it only comes when the absolute leaders show, I'm committed, I'm putting in time and energy, I'm putting in sweat, I'm putting in blood, and I'm holding myself accountable, not just everyone else. And this is the way that I, and that's the only way the changes, you know, stay on track uh, magnify and improve. So that is great. And a little bit more is that, you know, part of when uh, Jeff and Ryan and I were talking about the transition, we said, well, you know, Jeff, co-founder, is like, look, just as how I feel today and how I felt bringing Jeff. It's like, I'm not going anywhere. This is super important. Like, this, this is part of my life's mission. Uh, I'm going to be here as a co-founder and as a deep ally, <laughs> right, through my entire kind of work. So Jeff and, and Ryan and I talked about it. We said, okay, Jeff should take my office, this physical space. He should take this physical space. I should move to another physical space because the same pattern by which I was working with Jeff, Jeff should work with Ryan. Now, of course, I will still be there working with both Jeff and Ryan at a different office, probably the same floor, et cetera. Who, who knows? We'll work that out. But that then has that right kind of we are on this mission together. And I would fully anticipate in whatever, hopefully many years in the future, we transitioning from Ryan, Ryan say, well, okay, I'm going to take that office and this will be the new person, right? And we will continue because we are all in service to this mission. This mission is more important and that's the thing that we are contributing to and that we all do this together. And that's part of the reason why like LinkedIn, I think is spectacularly not a individual ego-driven shop, but is actually, in fact, we are all of service to this mission, and that's how we talk to each other. Well, on behalf of Reed Hoffman, this is Chris Yeh, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.